This is Channel 253. In this episode of Crossing Division. That kind of online activism and, you know, just being very visible that mm-hmm. makes people, you know, want to vote there. And the amount of retail politics involved and, you know, door-to-door campaigning, constantly being in the community is what wins those races. And the other, you know, stuff on top is just kind of reflective of that effort. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a couple races like that that we've seen in, in these congressional results here in the state where I don't think that they necessarily put as much work in on the ground as someone like NAOC. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. Hi, this is Evelyn Lopez. This week on Crossing Division, we are going to break down Washington's election primary that just occurred yesterday. So we may be bringing you updated results as we go along. Today, my guests are Eric Hanberg and Crystal Fincher. And you may recall that both of them uh, were together when we talked about the presidential primary earlier this year in March, which seems like about a hundred years ago now, but uh, that's when we were last together. So Eric, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and then I'll have Crystal introduce herself. Sure. Uh, I am uh, on the Metro Parks Board of Tacoma, have been for the last 10 years, the uh, publisher of Channel 253, Man About Town. Hello. Happy to be here. We're delighted to have you. And Crystal, tell us about yourself. Sure. I'm a political consultant, have been for the past decade. I work on mostly progressive campaigns, uh, worked on several candidate campaigns at all levels, local to federal, and also initiatives and bonds and levies, that kind of thing. I also host Hacks and Wonks, a radio show and podcast uh, that's available wherever you get your podcasts. And I'm just really excited to be here and a Channel 253 subscriber also. Excellent. Wonderful. Well, let's start by talking about our statewide executive races. Um, Most of those are reasonably firmed up, although there may still be some changes. But the first one, the governor's race, no surprise, Jay Inslee was, uh, you know, coming in first place quite handily. A slight surprise that it looks like the challenger will be Lauren Culp, a Republican who has been the sheriff of Republic, Washington. Or he may be the police chief of Republic, Washington, since Republic is a city and not a county. Um, So what do you guys think about this race? I I was a little surprised that Lauren Culp came out ahead of, you know, some of the other reasonably well-known Republicans like Tim Eyman or like Phil Fortunato. Um, But I will say I, I early on saw Lauren Culp signs more broadly around the area. I know signs don't vote, but I saw a lot of Lauren Culp signs, um, and I saw almost none, no Tim Iman signs. Yeah. Um, my view, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be voting for Lauren Culp, and I've heard some things about him that are deeply worrisome, but I think Tim Iman making it would have been very bad for our state mm-hmm. in terms of the, like, there's many problems with Trump, but one of them is the make government a circus and I think that that's what the campaign would have been like if it had been Tim Iman. I, I lived in Minnesota during the time of Jesse Ventura's governorship can, yeah. and campaign and then governorship. Like, it's very much like Trump now. And I think that that's what an Iman election would have would have felt like. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, you know, my assessment has always been that what Iman is really all about is promoting Iman. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, winning any race would be his biggest nightmare, really, because he's not all about doing things he's about enjoying the drama and what they said about trump well and i believe (laughs) it about trump really i mean i I can't imagine he's having much fun but maybe he is you know who knows he's such an unusual personality um what do you think about this race crystal what do you expect from it well and i mean first of all just what an incredible repudiation of tim iman Certainly, he came in here with all of the name ID, and a lot of people were very concerned about it for that reason. But he's also come in um, with a lot of, you know, 
public disclosure violations, ethical violations, lawsuits. I mean, he, you know, the, the incident with stealing the chair. Right. Um, you know, so I think people have had it with his antics. And it's one thing to talk about an issue that happens to be popular. I think Tim Iman may be confused a popular issue with personal popularity and tried to ride that train just a little too far. Uh, mm-hmm. But certainly Democrats, you know, rejected him completely and Republicans rejected him almost completely to not even scratch the 10 percent mark is is just pretty incredible, given name idea, uh, you know, alone and the lack of notoriety among the other Republican candidates. Right. Um, so, you know, and overall, I would say that Jay Inslee certainly looks to be in an extremely strong position for November um, you know, there, there is a lack of name ID for Lauren Culp and, you know, certainly has a lot of extreme views that poll after poll shows that Washington is, is not in the mood for. So, you know, it looks like Jay Inslee is really going to cruise to victory in November. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the interesting thing about this race is, is what happens after November. You know, I think that Inslee will win handily, but we've all been anticipating that if as we now know, if Joe Biden wins the presidential race, that Jay Inslee has a very strong likelihood of being asked to become a cabinet member. And then we have an open governor's position and all of these uh, factors kind of play into that um, in terms of, you know, who might be positioning themselves for future runs um, as well. And so with that, let's talk about lieutenant governor because I, I kind of think that this race for me anyway, was premised on the idea of how many people do we want waiting in the wings to become governor? Um, what we know, and Crystal, correct me if you're seeing anything that is more up to date than what I have, but with um, the results that are on the Secretary of State's website right now for Lieutenant Governor, it looks like uh, Denny Heck has the clear lead at about 27 of the votes. And right now, Marco Leas is in second place with 16.8% of the votes. But there are a couple of other people running who also have done reasonably well. Um, For example, there's an Ann Davison Sattler who has 11.5%. And the um, top Republicans are kind of splitting the ticket. Uh, Dick Murray has a 10% and Marty McClendon has 10%. So it's looking very likely to be a Denny Heck, Marco Leas race. Uh, and I think that for me, that is good because I think Denny Heck um, would do a very good job. But I also think that he's not someone who, if he were to come into the governor's office, if Inslee were to go elsewhere, I don't know that Denny Heck wants to be governor long-term. So I don't think that he would block the office off from a lot of the other candidates that we have who have been waiting in the wings for their chance to run for that office. Um, Crystal, your thoughts on that? Well, I I think that's an interesting question, certainly. I know that just looking at the field overall, I think there were some people who were hoping to see um, some broader choices or maybe a wider spectrum of the party uh, represented there. But for who we have here, um, you know, a lot of people have speculated that the only reason or probably a a big reason why he did hop in the race was because of the prospect of -hmm. becoming governor. And, you know, as we've seen with many positions, sometimes that is difficult to give up. So I don't know that I would immediately assume Mm -hmm. that he would just be, you know, a a one-term governor um, or, or in and out Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people are looking at the same thing. I mean, certainly this is one of the toughest times to be governor. And, you know, right. one may want to enjoy some smoother sailing down the road than, than going through this. But, you know, that's all speculation. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to get past November 1st and, and, and we have to, you know, see what, what transpires there. And there's no guarantee that Jay is picked to be in administration. Um, but, you know, we, there will be no shortage of speculation until then. That's true. Eric, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. There's, there's a long chain of things that have to happen for Denny Heck to get the governorship through this 
this option uh, or anyone, you know, whoever ends up being lieutenant governor. And um, I think those things are, are, I don't know about probable or likely, but they, they, there's an intuitive sense to them. The question you're asking about, like, does he then become like a caretaker position so that he's not going to run also makes some intuitive sense to me because I could envision that, you know, someone who, who goes that way might lose against someone like a Bob Ferguson or something like that. And maybe with the prospect of losing, they don't want to do it. Who knows? Um, but mm-hmm. uh, I think, I think uh, it's, it's very likely that, that Denny Heck would win based on, um, based on how these are looking right now. It's my hunch, yeah, but, but we'll I think see. So too. We'll see. We'll see what happens. It'll be very interesting. Uh, next up, let's talk about secretary of state. Um, that's one that the Democrats have been really angling for for quite some time. But uh, Kim Wyman has, I would say, pretty broad um, cross-party support. I mean, I know, I know mostly Democrats, and I know a number of Democrats who have um, voted for her and have been happy to do so. Um, she is currently ahead. Uh, Gail Tarleton, who has been in the um, House of Representatives, is a strong challenger. Uh, and I'll tell you, I, you know, I worked with Gail Tarleton a, a couple of times when she was in the, in the House, and she is very, very smart. So she is uh, someone who is not a, a political hack and is, I think, a really legitimate and interesting challenger for that race. Yeah, Thoughts? I would agree. And full disclosure, I uh, have worked with Gail in the past. But I would say, um, you know, I think Kim Wyman was certainly hoping to be up by more than five points at this time. And this mm-hmm. puts this race into um, into the competitive bucket, right? Um, because there's still a lot to discuss for the remainder of um, of this election. And, you know, this has typically been looked at as a fairly nonpartisan position um, and almost therefore one that, that Republicans have been comfortable holding. But I do think that there have been some developments, um, and maybe that's reflected in the closeness of this race, some developments this year that seem to make it look a bit more partisan. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the information sharing with the Trump administration um, has certainly, um, you know, caused a lot of people to ask a lot of questions. The glitch is seen just technologically throughout the primary filing period, um, certainly created a, a, you know, a lot of stress and, and drama, and, and there was a, a lot of criticism there. So I think there's going to be a more lively discussion than we normally see and this Secretary of State race, and certainly Gail brings a background in security issues, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whether it's, you know, national security or cybersecurity, um, she certainly has the expertise to speak to that. So I think this is going to be a race to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric, any thoughts on that? I think a lot of these things, one of the, the key factors is going to, that's going to be interesting is, is to what extent um, can a blue wave swamp um, Republicans in office who who maybe are generally held in esteem by Democrats is like they're 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 fine you know we're not we're we work with them we can get mm-hmm. along with them I'm thinking of like Bruce Dammeyer and I'm thinking mm-hmm. of Kim Wyman who has some general respect from Democrats in some ways for example like I appreciated that her um, her staying publicly that you know mail-in voting, you know, is safe, secure, or things like that. Um, but if, if there's a blue wave, if the, if the Trump brand, if the Republican brand is so toxic by the time you get to November, are there people who might have won in some other year um, who will just be overcome by that? And this might be one of those, those bellwethers where you can look for, you know, these, these um, if you're up, if you're within 5%, if, if you're within 7%, Will it get tighter? Will you lose it by then? Or, uh, has the wave already crested? Mm-hmm. And this is about where you're you're going to end up. So I think that's going to be a really interesting question moving yeah, forward. I think there's a couple of races um, that where the Democratic challenger is either slightly ahead or, or, you know, almost vote for vote with the Republican incumbent. And um, yeah, if we get a really strong Democratic turnout, uh, sort of a, an anti-Trump vote factor, then that that could really sweep things away. Um, a race where I think we'll we may see something like that happen if we turn to the treasurer race. Um, 
Mike Pellicciotti, who is in, has been um, at, in the, uh, uh, been a state representative for the um, district just to our north, 30th. 30th legislative district, yep. 30th. He is, uh, has been running against Wayne Davidson, who's the incumbent treasurer, only one term uh, treasurer though. Uh, Mike's also been someone, um, he's an attorney, has been an attorney with the attorney general's office. Um, and I, I like him a lot. I think he's a really straight shooter and he is up and ahead of Davidson. And I think that if he holds that lead, that that's the type of race where I think we could see a party change um, come November. But, I would agree. I would definitely yeah. agree that, that that one looks likely for a party change. You know, it, Looking at these results, primaries have lower turnout than the general election does. And usually higher turnout favors um, the Democratic candidate and Mm -hmm. Democrat versus Republican races. So, uh, you know, I know a lot of people are looking at these races and the ones that are close and, you know, where, where they're just ahead by a margin and saying this looks really good. For November, we're already seeing increased turnout. We expect that to continue through the general election. Um, And with that increased turnout, this certainly seems to be a floor in the amount of support as opposed to a ceiling. Mm -hmm. I think that's really true. What do you think about the um, superintendent of public instruction? We have uh, Rake Dahl, who is the incumbent, who's holding a, a good lead over the others. But we had a number of challengers. It looks like Maya Espinoza, um, who lives in Pierce County, will be the challenger. Um, in terms of funding, she actually raised a significant amount of money. She raised 77000 spent about $53,000, um, and has some of the supporters um, that we see on, um, you know, some of our other conservative races, like, you know, concerned taxpayers, uh, pack things like that. Um, thoughts on the, on OSPI? It, it was a lot closer than I, than I thought it would be just assuming that a democratic incumbent would do better. Um, I, you know, my understanding is, is that the, that some changes in the sex ed curriculum inspired a lot of mm. people to run, I was put off by um, the, the, you know, uh, Reichdale's um, statements in early June about like, we will have full person, everyone is going to school in September or something like, and it was just, it, and maybe it was out of context and there was a lot more nuance, but like, it was really a surprise and was immediately backtracked. And I wonder if that also cost some, some votes here. You know, there are a lot of teachers who might have noticed that and maybe didn't didn't like it? Um, I don't know, that, and that's entirely speculation on on my part. So um, it was closer than I thought it would be. Yeah, yeah. Here, I mean, I would anticipate that you know, given how the primary, uh, you know, given how the general is looking, that teachers, union members, and kind of the Democratic establishment will line up behind Reichdahl. But I think this is a race where there might be some factors that we're not used to seeing. Because we are in the pandemic, because families are experiencing a very unique kind of pain right now with, you know, the the conflict of, you know, the thought of sending back children back to school was very anxiety inducing. And we saw polling that said most parents were not comfortable with that. Now there's been online school announced. And even though I think a lot of parents are relieved that that question has been answered about whether they're going back and the safety issues associated with that. This is still a really tough thing to manage educating your kids within your home while you're still working, while you still have everything going on, um, you know, in the household. And so I think a lot of parents are struggling with this and families struggling with this. And, And this might be something that gets reflected in these election results where, you know, it's not the same kind of education issue we're used to talking about, but when people are feeling pain and there's someone who is actually, you know, they can point to in that department that, that says, this is a person who's running this show and this show is not making things really easy for me, that may impact the race. So this will be interesting to watch throughout the general. Mm-hmm. I think you're right, Crystal. Uh, I think that this is a time when, you know, for some of these offices, and I don't have um, children, so I don't pay as much attention to school issues as, as other people do. But um, 
this is a time when you really are looking for, for leadership from the top and direction. And my general sense is, is that I'm not sure that we've been seeing the leadership that we expect out of the superintendent's office. I think we're seeing more, you know, sort of um, at least more statements that make sense on school issues coming out of the governor's office rather than out of OSPI. And, um, and that's disappointing. You know, I would expect that OSPI would be working on this very, very closely and would um, have more um, information out for the public by now, by, you know, August 5th. We should know a lot more about what's going to happen than we do. So we'll see if that, at the same time, I will say, you know, when you're angry over someone who is maybe not doing everything you would like, you still have to look really closely at who's challenging them. Exactly. And in this case, you know, I, I, um, Maya Espinoza, the last time she ran uh, a campaign challenging um, Chris Kilduff in the, you know, for the House of Representatives um, in the 28th Legislative District. And, you know, she is actually a, an interesting person. I've met her in person once at a city club event. Um, very um, personable, uh, bright, younger woman. She's got a lot going for her, but she really doesn't have the background that I would normally expect for um, a position of this with this level of responsibility. Um, and maybe I'm selling her short, but I just think, um, you know, I think she I think she covers a lot of the ground on some policy issues, especially more conservative ones. But I don't think she really has the depth of experience that you would need for this office. But we'll see how that turns out. Um, some, something well, I will I will yeah. just flag for you is is mm -hmm. that. I, Shortly, right before we we started recording this, um, both the governor and uh, um, and I, I struggle with his last name every time. Right, Reichdel, 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 They they gave a joint press conference today, mm -hmm. um, so he ha he is out front sometimes, um, but uh, um, yeah, the, his his the last time the one in I think June was the one that uh, caught people off guard. Yeah, I think so too. Well, let's uh, do a quick cover of two more races, then we may take a break and check on returns. Let's talk about the AG race. Bob Ferguson, well ahead, probably doesn't have much to worry about. Um, Matt Larkin will be the challenger. Matt Larkin is a um, very, uh, appears to be very conservative, appears to be, uh, had been a pretty strong Trump supporter. I'm not sure. I don't, I think he's been careful to say he doesn't appreciate the president's rhetoric. But otherwise, I think he's been aligned with that. And this one's interesting to me, partly because I work at the AG's office, but partly because the um, criticism of Bob Ferguson doesn't seem to be you're a bad AG, but rather you are suing the federal government so much and we are worried that you're neglecting some other duties because you're so busy suing the Trump administration. And Larkin says that he would not do that. He's more concerned about homelessness and other issues, which I'll tell you, frankly, do not fall within the um, authority of the attorney general's office. And uh, so he's hoping that he can just use the bully pulpit of the attorney general's office to make statements and, I don't know, provide guidance or thoughts on what uh, counties and cities should do about homelessness and crime and other issues. Um, so we'll see. I don't really expect that to be a very interesting race, to be honest, but it might be. I don't expect it to be an interesting race. I mean, in, in this kind of situation, again, probably next to Secretary of State, the Attorney General has been the office most friendly to having Republicans in statewide mm -hmm. office. Certainly we had A.G. McKenna yep. for quite some time. And, um, you know, that criticism of your focusing on the Trump administration was certainly one that opponents were hoping would land, but it just doesn't seem by these results that it did. I'm sure if you're unhappy with the policy being challenged overall, that you're unhappy with A.G. Ferguson pursuing that, but most of the state actually seems to be in alignment with that um, and, and also feels that it's representing residents here in the state and, and the issues associated with that. So I don't expect this one to really yeah. be competitive at all. This, this isn't going to be one on my list of races to watch. I, I would agree with that. And, and if people were thought that these 
it's not like every single time he sues the Trump administration is being thrown out of court, you know, like he's winning. Right. I, I don't know right. what the record exactly. is, but like, like clearly these are, have justification for going forward because they're winning a lot of them. So I don't yeah. think people see these as like, you know, uh, frivolous lawsuits or anything like that necessarily. I, I don't mm-hmm. think that's where the public sentiment is. No, I agree completely. Well, let's one more mention that I want to do. This one isn't really very interesting to talk about, but this is just interesting in the insurance commissioner race. Uh, it is um, Mike Kreidler. Patel is uh, in second place. Yeah, Chirayu Patel. And the interesting thing to me when I looked up the PDC information was that, well, first of all, um, the person who raised the most money in this race was uh, Anthony um, Welty, uh, who is running as a libertarian. and he, d- he is not making it through the primary. Um, Mike Kreidler has raised about $30,000 and has spent 8000 but Mr. Patel um, has not reported any um, contributions or any expenditures with the um, PDC. He, d- he did file a C1, which is registering your campaign. He did file a C1 report on June 29th, so quite late. Um, but he has no other reports filed uh, whatsoever. So I don't know if we'll see a complaint to the Public Disclosure Commission. I kind of feel like the insurance commissioner's uh, race doesn't get a whole lot of attention, but certainly we would like to know what anyone who is running for insurance commissioner is doing, uh, in what kind of money they're getting and from whom. So I thought that was interesting. Any thoughts on that one? Nope, you're you're much more adept at those uh, PDC digs than I am, so I'll... (laughs) Well, this one was easy since there's okay. nothing. There's nothing <laughs> reported. It's zeros across the board. So we'll see if anyone does anything. Let's take a break now. This is Doug Mackey, producer of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. This episode of Channel 253 is sponsored by Pacific Lutheran University. Your student can go to college just about anywhere in the world. But have you thought about the school just down the street? When it comes to their undergraduate programs, PLU is a triple threat. First, PLU has a great liberal arts program that will expand young minds and help them thrive no matter where they go after leaving our campus. Second, PLU is part of the Tacoma and South Sound community, passing on the values of civic engagement to the next generation. And finally, PLU has programs that will prepare students for some of the most important and high-demand careers post-graduation, liberal arts, civic engagement, and professional studies, a triple threat that will help your student thrive. To learn more, visit plu.edu slash admission. Now back to the show. Okay, we're back after a short break to check some election returns. Before we start talking about um, returns again, I want to suggest that if you are not yet a member of channel 253 that you seriously consider a membership it's four dollars a month or forty dollars a year and it gives you access to just a broad variety of um, interesting podcasts and we're in the process of developing some special membership programs as well you will not regret it i promise you all right let's go back so just a quick Look, it looks like looking at the statewide races that we've been talking about, the only significant change, not really significant, the only noticeable change that I see is that for treasurer now, um, Mike Pellicciotti is well ahead of Dwayne Davidson, uh, 54% to 45%. So I would say that's not particularly close any longer. It could still change, but I think that it, it looks really good for Mike Pellicciotti. Are any other things that you're seeing in the statewide races, Crystal? No, I, w- I would absolutely agree with you on that race. Um, you know, not much movement overall in the rest of the races after today's return. So I think we're pretty much in the same place as we were yesterday. Right. Well, let's take a look at the federal uh, congressional um, races. Uh, for the Tacoma area, we'll just go over the ones that kind of touch us. So we have, um, let's see, District 6 is the first one. District 6, Derek Kilmer is the incumbent, and he is well ahead. Um, 
he had a number of challengers this time, including a strong challenge from Rebecca Parson, um, who was advocating for, I would say, the more progressive side of the Democratic Party. Um, but he will be challenged in the general election by Elizabeth uh, Kreiselmeyer, who um, has about 26% of the vote and who is a uh, prefers the Republican Party. And I would think that that is not going to be a significant problem for Derek Kilmer, um, since he already has 48% of the vote. And then we can assume, I would assume that people who voted for um, Rebecca Parsons would probably vote for Derek Kilmer in the general. Um, any different thoughts on that, uh, Eric? I was, um, you know, Rebecca uh, Parsons, who I, I don't know at all, but she ran uh, a very active campaign. She, mm -hmm. she raised a lot of money. Um, the, the, the com, you know, the comparison would be trying to be like an Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, yeah. uh, and take out a more centrist person, but this district doesn't match that one. This district mm -hmm. has a lot, you know, it goes all the way to, you know, the forks and it's, right. it's a huge district, lots of rural, which I know that's not where all the voters are, but even Tacoma is not as blue as where AOC ran. And so the, the, you know, the effort was very strong, but I just don't think it matched the profile of where this district necessarily necessarily is. Yeah, I think it, the type of strategy that um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was successful at will work in an urban district, you know, where you have high density of voters in a smaller geographic area and and voters who 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 tend to vote democratic and who have very similar issues i think that that could be pulled off in a big um you know rural district like this I, I don't know that that would ever really be successful so i i have a bit of a different view on this one i mm -hmm. don't think that it's something that's only possible in um you know a more urban or high density district but i mm -hmm. do think that people dramatically underestimate the amount of on the ground work that goes into some of those victories that people see on a national level and think, oh, this is a surprise victory. And yes. I saw them being active online. Therefore, it was that kind of online activism and, you know, just being very visible that mm -hmm. makes people, you know, want to vote there. And the amount of retail politics involved and, you know, door-to-door -door campaigning, constantly being in the community is what wins those races. And the other um, you know, stuff on top is just kind of reflective of that effort. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a couple races like that that we've seen in, in these congressional results here in the state where I don't think that they necessarily um, put as much work in on the ground as someone like an AOC. At the same time, we're in a pandemic, right? So that's going right. to be yeah. hard to do. Mm -hmm. um, but but because of that, I think some people might have expected, um, you know, a more competitive race or certainly to see a, a, a getting higher percentage of vote. And without having voters see you repeatedly, you being at their doorstep and having conversations with them repeatedly, that just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I, I feel like maybe there was a bit of a different expectation um, that some people had looking at some of the other results in the country. And yeah. I think that, that we saw some results across the country where a lot of that work has gone in across multiple campaigns, you know, a, mm -hmm. a first unsuccessful campaign and then another successful campaign. But there is no substituting for a field campaign on the ground. Yeah, no, I agree. I think in an, in an urban environment, you don't have the mileage you know, but you, and you can make the in-person, but yeah, I think the in-person and the hard work of making that in-person contact is definitely the, the key to success. Absolutely agree with you. Um, let's look at um, districts. Uh, District 7 doesn't really um, hit us, but Pramila Jayapal has a strong, unquestioned lead in that one. Uh, eight. Kim Schreier has the lead, but she had a lot of different um, challengers. Um, she has pulled 44% of the vote. Um, that's still going to be a close race for her, I think. It looks like, uh, I think it looks like Jesse Jensen right now is the Republican who will be running against her, but it's still very close with Keith Swank. So this might be a race where we'll see if that blue wave impact helps Kim Schreier 
What do you think about that one? I think this is a race that actually looks, um, you know, obviously it was extremely competitive last cycle. Mm -hmm. I think this race looks better for her this cycle than it does last cycle. Um, You know, we've seen a number of the suburbs get bluer, or at least right now have a reaction to Trump um, that Mm -hmm. is weighing down the full ballot all the way down the ballot. And so that certainly makes things better, look better for Schreier. The other factor here is that um, there's a lot of different flavors of Republican, especially Mm -hmm. here in Washington state. And there are more moderate kind of centrist Republicans where um, the social issues don't fire them up to the same degrees we may see nationally. And then there are some absolute Trump Republicans, right? And we're, we're certainly seeing those. I think that this is a district where there is more of that kind of spectrum than we see in some other districts. Because of that, I think that there may be more of a challenge in this district at unifying that non-democratic vote that we see here Mm. than may be the case in some other districts. But we'll certainly see how that plays out. It's a really strange, really strange district. I mean, it's all of Chelan County, all the way to Mm. rural Pierce and rural King County. Like, it's just a really strange one in terms of who's included in it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, I would imagine that she's always going to be on the bubble every, you know, every election for a while um, just because of all of the, the, you know, how things are, are moving mm-hmm. there. Um, it's, it's incumbency that I is, it's hard to imagine ever being truly secure when you've got that, that kind of a range. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, we have, Ninth doesn't look like it's very competitive. We have Adam Smith with 73% of the vote coming out of the primary. Um, So that is going to be a not super interesting race. Uh, Let's talk about the 10th. The 10th we have, and this surprised me, shows I I don't live in this district, so I don't really know what type of um, political activity has been going on behind the scenes. We have Marilyn Strickland, who has uh, 21% and is the leader coming out of the primary. Uh, Beth Dolio appears to be um, the candidate who is in second place with 13%. But she, was, but she wasn't yesterday, and that's what's going to be really interesting. She Right, she wasn't yesterday, and Christine Reeves is incredibly close. Christine Reeves is the other person who might be in second place. She has uh, 13%. So right now what I'm looking at at the Secretary of State says Christine Reeves with 15,489, Beth Dolia with 16,342. So about so a 900 vote difference there. And uh, we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, either way, what we're going to see is uh, two Democratic women going into the general, which uh, is going to be a, a good thing as far as I'm concerned. But yep. um Yep. But, you know, they each three of them have much different sort of demographics. Marilyn is uh, much more closely affiliated with business community, uh, chamber of commerce type groups. Beth Dolio has strong uh, connections to the environmental communities. And uh, Christine Reeves has, I would say, a very strong connections to labor communities and also has um, good support from the governor's office and uh, other um, lead um, it's it's funny to hear you say uh, Marilyn being tied to the business community because I remember when she ran in 2009 when she was mm-hmm. elected and I mean the chamber and the business community here in Tacoma was just anti anti Marilyn she's gonna you know <laughs> everyone's gonna go yeah. out of business like like you know the the perception of her has has dramatically changed um and and i don't think either of those characterizations are are correct it's uh, she's she's definitely i would say you know a a more on the moderate side than many other democrats are but the idea that she's um uh again at either extreme as she has been painted over her political career is uh, i don't think is accurate yeah i think that's fair i don't think that i don't think she is um beholden to one extreme group um, and it's certainly my perspective that she has closer connections and has been friendlier to the business community than uh, than not. But um, 
I mean, obviously heading up the chamber. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll create that impression among (laughs) many. Um, You know, she is, she is a Democrat. She's not, Mm -hmm. she's not a Republican, but she is a centrist Democrat. Um, She, she's a moderate Democrat. She's not, um, you, you know, I think people, frankly, a lot of times with black women will automatically see someone as really progressive Yes. Just because they're a black woman, regardless of their, um, you know, history and background and experience. And I think that that was part of the conversation when she started um, and part of the impression there. And then on the flip side, especially heading the chamber in Seattle and especially after last year's city council campaigns where, you know, Amazon was such a central issue where there were was a clear progressive versus, you know, centrist, moderate in Seattle, they would call it conservative, right? But like, you know, for everyone else, centrist (laughs) and moderate, um, Mm -hmm. you know, race, that she um, certainly um, is now viewed in that absolutely centrist, absolutely business-friendly lane. And and there is tension within the Democratic Party about that. And, And I think that's going to be something that that is prosecuted in the general election mm-hmm. quite vigorously. Absolutely. But, um, but she does have executive experience. Um, she is absolutely seen as a strong leader by a lot of the community um, and is viewed as having strong appeal in a lot of the community. And, yes. you know, this isn't just for in, you know, the city of Tacoma. We're looking at, you know, across counties, we're looking at across communities. And so I'm not surprised to see her with the lead, um, but how she is able to consolidate that and how she survives um, all of the focus being on her in the general is going to be interesting to see. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's going to be a pretty um, nasty campaign against her, to be honest. And I think that although that's rather unfortunate because I will say this too. She has always been a super strong supporter of all women's issues and diversity inclusion efforts. And uh, she's the first one at all times in city council meetings to speak up if she thinks someone was being uh, treated inappropriately or disrespectfully due to, you know, their gender, their race, their appearance. And I think a lot of those qualities get lost in the discussion about, yeah, the chamber and business. With with the business thing, like, like, you know, she and the city council tried to pass a a roads tax and the chamber fought it, you know, vigorously with this giant no sign, like just no, like, like Mm -hmm. that was their campaign and it worked. Mm -hmm. And then, so a year or two later, they worked on something with the chamber and it passed. And honestly, like, like passing the roads text was one of the most critical things for Tacoma. Like we desperately needed that money. And so, you know, on the practical side, you have to appreciate that, you know, we have the money now to spend on this thing. And um, so I, 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 I guess, you know, I'm, I am, that's, that's, I think more where my approach usually is, is like what usually gets things done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that, uh, is usually valuable. It will be interesting to see. I think you're right. I think the pre- that the that the general election campaign will be, you know, Marilyn or someone else is going to be how it's positioned. It's going to be about her, yeah. um, and uh, and that's going to be interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about state legislative races. We won't go through all of them, but tell me which ones you're watching, and which ones you think are interesting. And I'll start with Crystal. Tell me races that you think are interesting in our area and why. Well, obviously, you know, looking at the race between, you know, the Senate race between Tuana Nobles and Steve O'Ban, um, a very competitive and close race right now. I believe at this moment, Tuana is ahead by 23 votes. Mm. I believe it's slightly tighter than it was yesterday. Um, but this is one where, you know, notably and, and um, you know, a story that you were interviewed for. Right. There was a mailer that was um, condemned as racist by several of the PACs who were involved in funding um, the mailer and, mm-hmm. and said that they didn't know that's that was going to happen. Clearly it was racist. It darkened Tawana Skin, who is a black woman and the head of the Tacoma, Tacoma Urban League. 
and that's been a tactic used by campaigns, you know, since time immemorial to, you know, try and, and paint black candidates in a more negative light. But this is really one of those races where we're talking about a blue wave. This may be something that, you know, there's a strong candidate, a, a really qualified challenger to um, a long time, you know, an incumbent who's who's been there. And, and so it's going to be interesting to see how this shakes out, but it's certainly competitive. And where, where Tawana is right now, I think that things look really achievable for her winning in November, given that there's going to be greater turnout um, and her name ID is still progressing, right? This mm-hmm. is her, um, you know, looking at, at how she's known in the community, that's only going to grow. So it'll be really interesting to watch. Yeah, I think so too. And I think we're going to see a lot of independent expenditure money in that race. And um, we'll see if it's, uh, you know, if there are mailers and other uh, advertising that are appropriate or that that cross over the line, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of being uh, racist or, you know, misogynistic. And um, my bet is that we'll see some really disturbing things again. Eric, your thoughts on uh, which legislative races are you looking at? Um, well, I, I was likewise very excited to see that uh, that 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 Twana was was so close and you know slightly ahead, um, mm-hmm. and I'm hopeful about uh, seeing that flip. Um, I was also watching um, the what is it the tw- you know twenty ninth twenty ninth yeah yes. the Steve Steve Kirby um, versus uh, Charlotte. Uh, Mena, Mena, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I. Let's see here. It was about five or six percent different yesterday, and in the past, and you know, some local elections, you can see that swing from election night to the time it's finally certified. And with the new results today, it doesn't look like that's going to swing at all. It looks, it looks pretty much like uh, uh, she will not make it through the primary. It would have been really great to see uh, a Kirby um, and Mena primary. Uh, or general, excuse me, but uh, it looks like it's going to be Terry Harder, the Republican versus Steve Kirby. Yeah. I think that we will see, you know, if these uh, results, if this trend holds and if Charlotte does not make it through the primary, we will see more of her. Uh, So I know we were off um, on our break. Um, She also was on the ballot to for precinct committee officer and she won that and in fact beat uh has uh, the leader significant lead against uh david sawyer who was previously um a state representative for this district so i i think she will get more and more name recognition and she's such a strong candidate that i think we'll see some more of her a lot of her as uh, as time goes on uh what other what other races? I noticed on the 26th, which is just across the bridge from Tacoma, um, we have a couple of interesting races, but the one that looks really likely to be possibly changing, maybe, is the one that Jesse Young, uh, the Republican, is the incumbent. He has the lead, um, but his uh, the Democratic challenger, Carrie Hesch, is within 3,000 votes of him. And there was another Democratic Democrat in the race, Drew Darso, who got 2,000 votes. So if you combined both Democrats, um, you would be very close in a, almost a virtual tie with Jesse Young. And so that might that might be another race to watch for the general election to see if that flips and the incumbent goes out. Yeah, I would agree. This is one that looks, you know, that's neck and neck. And um Democrats are certainly very hopeful that with the increased turnout of the general, that that will carry them um, across the finish line to mm-hmm. win this one. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we can expect this. We'll have to see what happens in, in the other state representative position two race in the 26th. That has Joyce Stanford in the lead from the primary with 45% of the vote. Michelle Caldier who is the incumbent, has 36%. But the third candidate, who is also Republican, is Alicia Beeler with 17%. So in that race, we'll have to see what happens, um, whether um, it remains a Republican um, seat um, if Alicia Beeler's uh, supporters move over to the Michelle 
uh, Caldier or if some of them are voting for Joy or if there's a turnout that is uh, a larger turnout, whether um, Joy's lead might hold. Let's see what other races. The other race I had down, races I had down just to note were um, 30th Legislative District in the Federal mm -hmm. Way area that Jamila Taylor looks like, uh, you know, strongly in the lead in her race. And Jesse Johnson is strongly in the lead in his race. And then the Jesse Johnson race was another race where I did get people sending me copies of flyers uh, showing pictures of him where I, I don't think his skin had been darkened, but the pictures definitely looked more shadowed. His eyes were very, you know, um, darker skin around his eyes than, than the same picture with a, with a different treatment. So I think that's a race that I will want to watch for appropriate advertising. I think there were also some, um, some of the slogans being used by the Walsh campaign were, you know, Walsh understands our issues. He has the same values that we have. Um, Jack Walsh is a middle-aged white man and Jesse Johnson is a younger black man. Um, so that will be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, and uh, Jamila Taylor in the other race has a good lead. Um, it looks like Martin Moore, who says he prefers the independent Republican Party, is likely to be her challenger. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, he has certainly run a number of times before. Jamila looks very strong in this race. I mean, already with the percentage, uh, you know, with the amount of votes that she has, she mm -hmm. is... Um, has exceeded the total of the two Republicans in yes. the race. So that's, you know, one thing that I'm sure is making her camp feel very good. There's also another Democrat in the race who got 12% of the vote. So, I mean, she, you know, the Democrat vote in the race right now is, what, 46 47% almost. I mean, 56 or 57% almost, which would make you feel real comfortable going mm -hmm. into the general and she's a strong candidate. Yeah. Um, first time running for the legislature, but she had just run for city council last year. And as a first time candidate had a really strong showing, um, you know, came, <laughs> you know, the, the funny thing about that race is she came within the undervote for her vote in her margin of victory, meaning that a number of voters just didn't flip over the ballot. It was a lengthy ballot, if you remember. Oh, and, interesting. And the amount that she lost by was fewer than the mm -hmm. people who forgot to flip over their ballot. So that was an interesting one, but certainly um, galvanized a lot of the community, um, consolidated a lot of Democratic support. So that's um, a positive pickup, especially looking at the 30th, which is a purple district. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's the district where Mark Molosha came from. Obviously, um, Christine Reeves was the um, seat holder before Jesse Johnson in that seat. Mm -hmm. And Pelicotti was the one who had this seat previously. So it was not a foregone conclusion that Democrats were going to keep these seats. Um, and there was a lot of question about that, but certainly two strong performances by both Jesse and Jamila here. Mm -hmm. That's good. Any other legislative races that we should keep our eye on, Crystal? The fifth legislative district Senate race mm -hmm. um, is that's in the Issaquah area. So it's not, uh, you know, a Pierce County race, but that is one that has a longtime centrist Democratic incumbent, Mark Mullet, and he's being challenged by a more progressive challenger, Ingrid Anderson. Um, a lot of money has flown into that race. It is, you know, at last check, the, the most expensive race in the primary. And it really is one of those battles about where voters want the direction of the party to go. Um, and especially here locally, as we're in a pandemic and people are looking at options for revenue? Is it going to be, you know, an austerity cutting budget? And races like this one are actually going to determine what's possible on the Democratic side. What taxes are on the table? Right now, there are a number of centrists in races um, with more progressive opponents where they're saying, you know, the centrist isn't quite sold on things like an income tax or a capital mm -hmm. gains tax or other revenue. And the more progressive challenger is saying, you know what, we 
are definitely want to look at, you know, capital gains, if not income tax, you know, certainly before we talk about cutting some of the critical safety net resources that are keeping people housed and children fed. And, and so this is a big conversation within the party. And it looks like, you know, the progressive side of the party certainly had some positive results. And, and that race is very close. Ingrid has a slight lead um, right now. And we'll see what happens in the general, but certainly looks to be a very competitive race. Oh, that'll be interesting to see. All right. Well, let's turn to the county. And I'm going to take um, the race we was going to talk about last. Let's take it first because it's interesting. And that's our sheriff's race. Uh, we have um, results today show that Ed Troyer has 52% of the vote and looks like he'll be challenged by Cindy Fajardo who has 20%. So this would be the two individuals who are members of the Pierce County Sheriff's Office look like they will be in contention for becoming the sheriff. Neither of those campaigns was a high dollar uh, campaign. Ed Troyer had raised $11,000 and spent $10,000, most from individual contributions. Um, Cindy Fajardo had 45,000, but a lot of that was, money that she had put into the campaign herself and she spent 44000 So I don't know if more money will come in, um, but that one will probably generate some interesting discussions about what the future of the Pierce County Sheriff's Office will be. Um, executive, Bruce Stammeyer, no surprises in the lead. He has 55% of the vote against Larry Sequist's 44%. Um, and we'll see where that goes. I, I will say it was this race was closer than I expected it to be, mm-hmm. um, considering that, you know, so far as I can tell, Larry's done almost no campaigning, which is pandemic right. related. What are you going to do? You know, right. so I'm sure he's raising money. I'm sure he's sending things out. Um, but it, it's surprisingly close. I, I don't see him closing that gap necessarily. It's a big gap. Um, but again, you could imagine certain conditions being right, something locally happening with how things are implemented uh, with the coronavirus combined mm-hmm. with national things. Like you could imagine a world where, you know, something might happen, although it's, it's, uh, it seems like kind of a stretch, but I, he was actually closer than I, I thought he might be. Well, and your point's well taken. Um, Demeyer had raised $384,000. He spent 141000 Larry Sequist, by contrast, has only raised forty-one thousand and spent twenty-seven thousand. So, to to be that close with really not a significant amount of campaigning, I think does show that there's um, well, there might be some more movement in that race than we would normally expect. If I were if I were if I were sitting in Bruce's seat right now, I would be thinking I'm going to be spending all of this money to make sure I mm-hmm. stay you know stay in office because because it he's going to want to stop it. Um, so I, I think he's going to want to use all of that. Um, that's my hunch. Yeah. Uh, the other really interesting County council race is the sixth, um, district. And that one is, is the district that Doug Richardson has been term limited out of, uh, Janie, uh, Hitchin is at 51% and her opponent, um, and I've lost his first name, but his last name is Whalen is at 47%. If that race goes Democrat, then that will change the majority in the county council and um, would allow Democrats to have a little bit more control over some of the policies. Yeah, this is this is a big deal race, and I expect to see um, a very competitive uh, general election here and certainly one that um, you know, a number of Democrats are going to be interested in. I wouldn't be surprised to see independent expenditures hop in here. It's a big opportunity. Mm-hmm. I think the other race that we don't really know what that might become interesting is District 3. And that's one where Amy Kruver has 42%. She um, was Jim McCune's um, council assistant and is now running for his position. But there are a number, a couple of strong Democrats running in this race. It looks like Marcus Young will be the um, challenger, and we'll see if he's able to pull enough um, enough votes to um, challenge Amy. But he might be able to, so that that could be a good race to watch too. 
I think. Any other thoughts on what we should be looking at or what we should be anticipating um, from now through beginning of November, Eric? What are you going to be paying attention to? You know, I think I'm going to be looking for just, I, I don't think Washington has ever polled on uh, national issues like, you know, voting for, for president or things like mm -hmm. that, because we don't really, we're not going to be a, a tiebreaker. We're not going to be a, a deciding state. Um, but anything that suggests, you know, like how Democrats are viewed in Washington, I think you, we can maybe sort of extrapolate some of that to whatever's hap happening locally. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, can we tell based on, um, you know, maybe a poll of Inslee and Culp how things might be happening here? Um, because it's it's such a weird campaign season, you know, it's 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 all Zoom calls. There's some sign waving at street corners. Mm -hmm. um, but the traditional things, I, I have a mailer here from uh, Ryan Mello. Um, that's a historical artifact where, you know, it's it's pictures of all of the candidates wearing masks. Like when right. has that ever been a, a mailer? Um, so it's going to be, it's just going to be a really interesting campaign time um, with, with a lot of creative strategies to get to, to reach people. What do you think, Crystal? What are you going to be watching? Well, and, and to that point, there, there have been a couple of um, statewide polls, one crosscut poll and another King 5 Survey USA poll. Um, I won't get into the conversation about the methodology in that King 5 Survey USA poll, um, but, but overall, I would say that it certainly looks like the the typical gulf between Democrats and Republicans is wider than we would normally see. Um, and and it looks like Trump is certainly the motivating factor for that. Um, you know, I'm going to be this is going to be a really interesting general election, not just to see the, uh, I suppose, you know, tactics used by campaigns campaigning during a pandemic, but also because now in the primary, a lot of campaigns are focused on just getting their name out there, number of crowded primaries. So they're just really trying to get their message and break through with what they're doing. In the general, we're going to see that shift and we're going to see, you know, whether it's Marilyn Strickland or, you know, some of the statewide races, and they're going to be drawing strong contrast between themselves and their opponents. So it's going to be interesting in some of those close races, you know, including some of the legislative races like the, you know, Senate race between O'Ban and Nobles in Pierce County is, is to say, you know, you took this vote, you have this record, how do you defend it? And can you and are, are voters in the mood um, to forgive candidates who, you know, maybe they don't agree with their record in all areas? Are they, are, are they in a mood for increased accountability and saying, you know what, we don't need to settle for someone who maybe we don't disagree, you know, maybe we don't agree with all the time and maybe it is time for a change. Mm -hmm. um, so that's going to be interesting to see as well as for Republicans are going to be put on the spot more um, about how they feel about Trump and how they feel about some of these tactics where they didn't necessarily have to answer you know, how they felt about whatever Trump was doing mm -hmm. during the primary, but that's going to be much harder to escape. And is that increased um, tie and focus on that connection going to be helpful or harmful? So I'll be looking at that as well as how much money and, and what types of tactics are used by independent expenditures for all of these races too. Mm -hmm. I think it's all, it's going to be, well, it's always pretty interesting, but I think this year, um, to me, it's intensified by the fact that, you know, we have, we are in the midst of a pandemic. We have, in all likelihood, children staying home from school, parents trying to juggle. How is that going to work? Um, people who have been displaced from their workplaces, uh, people who will be displaced from their housing if there's no, you know, significant um, funding provided to help with assistance. Um, and then we also have a, a severe budget shortfall in the state and how are we going to make that up? And I know I've talked, we've, I've talked previously about, you know, you hit a point where you can't cut your way out of um, the gap, you know, you've cut whatever you can cut. And unless you're going to decide that we're no longer going to provide, um, you know, services that are considered critical by most people, revenue is going to have to increase and what does that look like so i'm i'm hoping that all of this bad stuff 
might result in us having some really good substantive conversations about what leadership is and and what are people actually going to do? I mean, the, the days when you could just be a pleasant person and shake a lot of hands, I mean, I think they're over. You, we got to have people who are going to be bringing their best ideas and, and hard work to the table to move the state forward. That's what I'm hoping to see anyway. Hope so. All right. I want to thank you guys so much for doing this. I think it's been a really interesting overview, and we will get this up on the air as uh, quickly as we can. And so for those of you who are listening, if you have questions, send them to me. Um, you can send me an email, truetacoma at gmail.com. Find me on Twitter at true underscore Tacoma. And uh, if you have ideas for future podcasts, let us know that too. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thanks, Evelyn. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. Crossing Division is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Citizen Tacoma, What Say You, and Gimme the Mic. This is Channel 253.